We're now in Romans chapter 11, verse 34, but we're going to have a review of the last few verses because they're connected. Now, in review at verse 32, God places all Jews and Gentiles under disobedience. They were failing God. The Jews broke the known law of Moses and the prophets. The Gentiles had lesser light, but failed the law of conscience, which the Jews also had. And this is the inner law that God places in every human. So he's without excuse. He's been given grace. His conscience, until it's marred or defiled later as he grows older and more wicked, is an indicator of what's good and what's bad, and he should follow it. Gentiles that did not have the law, many of them followed their conscience, and the Bible considered them righteous. So the Lord winked at the Gentiles. He overlooked some of the stuff because they didn't have as great a light as the Jews did. And that's why he became so harsh and severe with the Jews after generations of rebellion. 33, verse 33, reveals that the wisdom and knowledge of God to make plans far above man's comprehension. What is impossible to men, God has a way or makes a way. The evil devil and wicked try to frustrate and alter God's plans. Yet we look at Proverbs 21, verse 30, there is no wisdom or understanding, or counsel against the Lord. His overall plans he will accomplish. And what the wicked frustrate, it's not frustrating God, it's frustrating themselves, and he has a plan for what he will do with the wicked ultimately. So he's not taken by surprise. He allows men to obey or not obey. He gives them a free will. And so we need to see this. Proverbs 19, 21 There are many plans in a man's heart, but nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So he has put us, if you will, in a fishbowl, and he makes the laws, and many things can be done, but not outside that fishbowl, because the Lord has his overall plans, and he's going to bring them to pass. But he allows people to get in the plan or get out of the plan. That's free will. As we see God, the kingdom, as we pray, and as Jesus said for the godly to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, most of God's will is not done on earth because most of them are wicked people and they're not conforming. And the only ones that are doing it are the true Christians. He is within the Christian. He is not communicating on that level. And so his will is not being done to the world, the sinner, the wicked. So we can say God's will is not done, but it does not frustrate his overall plans. He understood. And when he tested Adam and Eve and the fall came about, he already has plans in effect. Some people say, well, well, he can do that. He doesn't tell us what he knows, doesn't know. There are many things the scripture says it was for us to know, but some things are only for God. It's none of our business. And so whatever happened, whether he planned it or was instant, because he has all knowledge, uh, he may not sit down like we think and sit and figure out what he's going to do. He knows everything. He has all power. It's probably instant with him. But we don't have no comprehension 
of that part of God, and we're not told that we should or that we can. So most of things on the earth that rely on men is not God's will. So he said it's his will that his will be done on earth. It's his will that we should pray not to enter into needless temptations. Well, that happens with most people. They don't abide. They don't obey the Lord. They don't follow the Christ, okay? So he allows man to exercise free will. His will that all mankind, and we'll see this in the Old and New Testament, his will, his perfect will, and what he desires is that everybody be saved. Everyone. There's no elect or predestined. People perverted those few scriptures. God is not determined before people were born whether they're going to heaven or hell. That makes him a monster. He cannot be wicked. He cannot be unjust. And so he holds rules and regulations. So he's not talking out of both sides of his mouth, wanting everybody to come to the Lord, and then says, well, only a few can come. That's absurd. And people who teach that have demon spirits and deceiving spirits guiding them. These teachings were popular many years ago with the intellectual, and that's why God keeps them from wisdom. That's why the intellectual has a hard time understanding Scripture. He blinds them. Jesus says, you hide wisdom from them. You keep it from them. And that's what he said. And Paul said, look at your Christian calling. There are not many brilliant people because they pervert the things of God. They become arrogant and proud. And because of that way, God does not give them spiritual understanding. The greatest thing that the devil does is deceive people. And they fall for it because God does not give them truth or the spirit of truth once they resist him and fight the spirit of truth. He gives them over and he allows and sends the evil spirits a lie to him. He is not going to lie to him because he's truth. But if they do not want the truth in his kingdom, he has other measures that will be handled. And during the Antichrist reign, it says as a whole, the people did not love to acknowledge the truth, so God sent them a spirit of delusion. It says God sent it, and it was a lying spirit, the devil, and he deluded most of them because they loved not to acknowledge the truth, and they fought when God tried to deal with them, their conscience, and through the gospel, and so that's what he decided. As he decided with the Jews after many generations, that's it. They're not chosen anymore, the people as a whole. They're under God's curse, just like the Gentiles are. They're under the wrath of God. And only a few are the elect. See, they're the elect. They're elected to stay with the Lord or follow the Lord, the Jewish Christians. As the first six and eight years, all Christians were Jewish Christians. The foundation was laid by the apostles and disciples who were Jewish Christians. So even though it's not his will that all mankind be lost and perish, yet it's stated to us that's what's going to happen. And they will experience the holy, just wrath, and that's the end for the wicked, the second death. But most go on their own way, yet overall his will and dealings with men is he wants them to turn to him. But most of mankind and all devils will end up in the lake of fire. They will experience the justice, the holiness, and the Bible considers it vengeful justice. People that they say, well, God, oh, yes, he does. 
See, the one word you'll hear more about God than any word, and it's not the love of God. It's God is holy, and he doesn't change, and he holds people responsible and beings responsible for their sins and their actions, and if they do not conform, then they will reap the consequences. Justice and holiness will come into play. God prefers mercy over judgment. He prefers to be gracious, but they come to an end. And at times he says, that's enough. And so during Noah's time, after he gathered Noah and his family in, and Noah had preached 120 years and they didn't listen, it said God shut the door. See, God shut the door of grace to him. That was it. He did it to King Saul, who was the anointed, and the Spirit had come on him as a king of Israel. And God called him, and the people wanted him, and God had no argument. It was the people's fault, but God blessed him while he served the Lord. But then eventually, after being tried several times and failing the Lord on major issues, the Bible says the spirit of Jehovah departed from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. And see, people don't like talking about that today. But Jesus said, every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, that doesn't walk in the spirit and follow me and obey me, he said, they're going to be cut off. See, people don't like, they just want to talk about, oh, I'm saved and I believe. They just talked about something that started. They didn't finish anything. There are many believers but they're not believing to obey. They're not going to follow the Lord. They have mental assent. And like Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? Lord, if you don't do what I tell you. Well, because they're not, and he's not their Lord. And when the masses of professing Christians stand before the Lord and talk about all the miracles and goods they did, he'll say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness depart from me you cursed of my father. Well, they would claim to be even serving the Lord. And they were saying, Lord, they recognize who he was. Well, the devils know who Jesus is, but it doesn't save them, does it? So that mental belief doesn't do a bit of good if there's not conformity. Faith and belief and grace have no power if there isn't fruit and spiritual working and obedience that it's false. That was the point that James was trying to say. Faith with no actions, faith with no fruit, then he said, can that kind of faith save you, that kind of Christianity? His implication is no, it can't. So many give God lip service, like he told Israel many times. You honor me with your lips. You sing beautiful songs. You play instruments in the temple area. You gather and worship. He said, but your heart is far from me. And he, he said, I despise your gatherings. See, because it's just form. And as Paul said, many have a form of godliness, but they deny the power to follow him and obey him. And that's the most professing Christians of the world. If you examine them, that's the type of people they are. They want some religion. They want to serve God on their terms, and they think it will be acceptable. And the scripture says their mouth will open. They'll be speechless because once the truth comes at the day of judgment, the devil cannot deceive them and blind them. They will see it, and then they'll know there's nothing they can do about it, that they fell under, and they'll realize it's because it's their fault. It ain't nobody else's fault. People can add to it. People say, well, it's because they don't have a minister. They don't deserve one. 
with Bibles and everything we have, a person, if he follows his conscience and reads the Bible, God will enlighten him. It'll be a hard or difficult way, but nothing's new. The scripture says our life here is, can be rough. Our life here is an arrow way. A few there be that find it to heaven. But he also says his commandments are not grievous. What's grievous is the fallen nature. When he wants to enjoy his sins and pleasures, it's difficult for him to get on the straight road because he prefers that. His own nature prefers that. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to be his own man. Well, God will let him do it till the day of judgment. And so hell, the lake of fire eventually, is the final abode of the wicked. And from what we can understand, whether we like it or not, it's eternal. And so they will be punished and be away from God and hopeless for eternity. And yet you don't hear many preachers or teachers talking about that. All they talk about is the love of God, the grace of God. But you find it's not working because the people aren't living right and they're not following the Lord. And that's the deception, and it's going to get darker and darker. And that's why the Church of Philadelphia, the Lord said, let no man take your crown. You've been enduring, you know, hold on. And then he said, I'll keep you from the hour when all this demonic stuff's coming upon the world. I'll keep you from deception. And he also said he'd shorten the time. Jesus said if the Lord didn't shorten the time, the very elect, the very Christian could not make it. But see, God balances. He will not allow us to be tempted more than we're able. That's if we don't make provision for the flesh. If you're entertaining the flesh and sin, that scripture doesn't apply to you. He gives you another promise that he'll forsake you if you forsake him. So people need to put these scriptures together. The wicked and the false often like to take scriptures out that sound pretty but they don't read the verse before and after and the whole context. Yes, for God so loves the world, the most famous scripture, for he gave his only begotten son. And they don't read the few verses down, and it says those who do not believe in the son, those who hear the gospel and don't obey and conform, he said the wrath of God remains on them. His judgment, his holiness, and everything they've done, they will give an account for, and the day of wrath will come to them. So they don't like to talk about that. Peace and goodwill to men, to those who turn to the Lord. All of this Christmas stuff, it's been so perverted over the centuries. It's been twisted. And everybody thinks God's a Santa Claus. And he's not angry. If I hear preachers say, God's not angry with people anymore. Well, he most certainly is. He's angry with the wicked every day, Scripture says. But he offers them goodwill and a peace treaty. So he can use both, and he does. He stores up wrath. He's patient with some. He gives them time. And then judgment comes in this life or the next. Usually both, different ways. He lets the wicked prosper in their money because they're materialistic and they're covetous. This faith and prosperity, most of it's from the devil. They're tied up in the world. And the apostle said, don't set your mind on the world. We live and use things, but they don't use us. And these people are no different than investors. They just want to give more so they can get more because their motivation is still selfish. It's from the corrupt nature. It's not from God. God gives people, we'll talk about later, some ministries are giving. 
He doesn't give it to them so they can become wealthy and luxurious. If you read the whole context, it's that they can be liberal and help the Christian and people in need. He didn't say, I give it to you to squander upon yourself. And as John says, he said, God has given us all things richly that we can enjoy. So within moderation, God doesn't care about a lot of things. But he looks at the motive and the intent of what people are doing. And that's what he will judge, okay? So we see that his will and dealings with mankind will be done his way. So his plans are not frustrated. The individuals could be frustrated. He's already set up what he's going to do. The gates of hell will not prevail. The righteous will spend eternity with God, and the wicked will not. And so God reveals how he responds. He has a say-so in everything. So all of those, the Proverbs or Psalms says, those who forget God will be turned into hell with the demons. That was the main place it was made for. Let's look at another scripture. People don't like these scriptures, but they look at them. That's why they have no fear of the Lord. They don't realize you don't fear the Lord properly, you'll end up in hell because you won't take sin seriously and you will pervert the love of God and grace when the scripture makes it plain. If you don't conform and live right, God will make you his enemy. As he took you, he cast you aside. And Jesus spoke of that. He said, those who deny me before men are cowards and don't want people to know they're Christians. He said, I'll deny them before the Father and his angels. Oh, it don't matter how many times they claim to be born again. It ain't going to work for them. Okay. Revelation 14. Let's read 10 through 11. And he shall, who, the wicked, the Antichrist, and those who follow him, the ultimate end of all wicked, is that he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Well, we'll read that's going to happen. The angels and Christ will see the smoke of their torment for eternity. The righteous that overcome, they won't give it a second thought. It won't be concerned them. But even the wicked will magnify God's holiness by his punishing them. He's showing justice and holiness to the angels. And it says, and the Lamb. That's God himself, Christ, okay? And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image. And so this is the end for everyone who doesn't follow the Lord. God has a right to demand people love and serve him. The first commandment, love the Lord our God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Well, we know this can't be done perfectly without being in Christ, without following your conscience and the light that you have. And so we see it. He makes provision for things. But overall, he expects obedience and conformity, and he expects us to follow him. And if there is no fruit bearing, that's the life of Christ in us. If there's no spiritual works, that's proven that we have the real goods. And there's no obedience that he's not your Lord. So that's going to challenge many people. Now, verse 34, he asks, who has known God's mind or been his advisor? Well, no one, huh? He asked Job that a few times too. Because he has all wisdom and knowledge, 
His knowledge and attributes are past all of our understanding. And now we get to verse 35. We'll be starting today. It says, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Okay. Uh, what is he saying? To whom is God indebted? Well, ultimately, nobody. In its essence, and as you lay it out, he'll owe nobody. I mean, he owns everything. He, he owns what he has. Everything belongs to him. So why should he owe anybody? But his ways are just and right, and he can be long-suffering and bear with the wicked for a time, and he does not act quickly. So we see that's the long-suffering of God. He bears with the wicked. People don't understand or think from God's day why he's confining people to hell in a place of torment. God is everywhere, sees everything all the time. And if he sees a person's wickedness continually, it grieves him and it makes him angry, and he's going to avenge it in holiness. That's why there will be an everlasting hell. And the sinner that's cast into hell, the lake of fire will be, hell be cast in. He'll continually be a sinner and wicked. And God will continually pour out his wrath on that person. So that's what people need to understand and why they should fear the Lord. Have a healthy fear. Jesus told his own disciples, why do you fear man? The most he can do is kill you. He said, but the father... He said, he can not only kill you, he can send you to hell. He said, fear him if you're going to fear somebody. So he's talking about a, a holy fear and respect. And then he immediately tells the disciples, but you don't have to fear. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But you better keep the kingdom and walk in the kingdom. And if he gives us grace and faith, we're going to hold accountable for it if we don't submit to it. So we've got several scriptures. People afraid of man, he can't do nothing. The people you're afraid of most likely will be in hell one day, and their opinion won't count. While the Christian should fear the Lord is not only his holiness and awesomeness, he should understand he's not special once saved, always saved. He doesn't have a free ticket. Scripture don't teach that. And what we have to fear from the Lord or dread as Christians either, and we're to take things that says with work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a time to be a little awesome. Why? Because what will turn God against a Christian is him going into sin and not repenting and turning. Then God will eventually turn against him and he'll cast that soul off. He'll, he'll cut that branch off and then it'll be burned. He's talking to Christians and those who follow him. So he's given that warning if you think you have a license to sin, like the greasy grace people, oh, we'll just lose some rewards. They're going to find out a little differently when they become speechless at the day of judgment and the angels cast them into the lake of fire. Then they'll say, oh, I was wrong. And then they can spend eternity saying, ain't nothing I can do about it. Okay? So that's what lying and deception can do to people. So who is he indebted? No. He puts up with wicked, and he's long-suffering. He told the Jews, I put up with your stubbornness and willfulness, and you take it as a means to keep sinning, or that I'm not looking at it, or I don't see it. He says, you're storing up wrath. It means everything a wicked person does, God records, he knows it, and he ain't going to forget it. 
That's why Paul said we are to flee for the wrath to come, that Christ keeps us from the wrath of God. So there is a wrath of God, a vengeance, an anger. And when those people experience it, there is no goodwill or love of God expressed toward them. He is a consuming fire. Justice and holiness surpass grace and mercy and love. But we can see, too, when grace runs out, that holiness and justice and judgment must come into play. So we have to understand that's God's dealings with man and nations. He can reward, though, and pay back goodness. Wicked men get more mercy than they deserve in the long run. And God, in his holiness and justice, he could cut them off in their sins now. Every time someone did a major sin, he could strike them dead. It wouldn't alter. The only thing it would alter is his long-suffering and patience so he doesn't lay that aside. And these fools that think God's predestined people to heaven or hell, they never consider he's long-suffering and patient and has no will for anybody to die. And I've heard these heretics, and I've refuted them. Well, you know, it's the wisdom of God. I said that it's wicked wisdom. It has no basis in what God himself has revealed about his nature. He's not arbitrary. He's not whimsical. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't just come up and say, oh, I like this. So he's consistent in his character, his attributes, you would say. And he's always been that way. Even under Moses, when he revealed himself and the people of the Lord, he said, I'm gracious and long-suffering and merciful. And then he ends by saying, but no means clearing the guilty. See, his justice and holiness comes into play. But he's also saying he's gracious and loving kindness. Well, that's the same as Jesus is. Why? Because they're the same one. They're the Godhead. Jesus has the full use, and he's part of the Godhead once he resurrected. He laid it aside, temporary. That's why Christ lives in the Christians. He lives in him as God. He couldn't do it in the human form. He said, I'll be with you, but I'll be in you, he told the disciples, because he was going to come back as the Spirit and as God himself when his glory was restored with the Father. So he can reward and pay back goodness. He can reward evil, which he'll eventually do because of his justice. And he likes justice and holiness, okay? But he waits, and he's long-suffering and patient, and he gives people time to repent and to consider their evil ways. He even gives the backsliders. We find a lot of this in the old and the new. Paul, when he came to the church, did he reprove part of the Corinthian church for their sins? And he said, I, I hate to tell you, or I'm going to be disappointed, because when I come, and you have not repented. And then he talks about maybe you've been disqualified. It's one thing to fall into sin. It's another thing to live there and grow sin. So he implied, maybe you examine yourself. That word's only used about three times by the apostle. Disqualified. It ain't what the greasy graces say. Oh, you just lose your rewards, but you're saved. No, that ain't what it's talking about. It means disqualified from Christianity apostatize, rejecting the Lord, giving yourself over to the enemy and the lovers of pleasures of this world. They return to their vomit 
is what Peter says, to go back. And he said, and it's better that they never known the Lord than that they turn away. So Peter believed you could know the Lord and be saved and go back into the world. And he was saying, it's better that you never got saved. Why? Because he's going to punish you more severely because of the light and the truth that you were given and because you crucify Christ again. You're going to get double punishment. Holiness and justice will come into play one day. So in Christ, because we're in him, we're part of his body, and we serve him, he can reward the righteous, and he does, and considers what they do as Christ doing it in them. And unity with Christ. We cannot do any spiritual work apart from the Spirit helping us, but he don't do it. He does it in us. The Holy Spirit's the helper. He's not the doer. It's not one-sided. And so he that joins himself to the Lord is one spirit, one in unity with him, yoked with him. So there's no spiritual activity that's real that doesn't have God in it and doesn't have you in it. God doesn't act alone in the body of Christ. He is a vine. And he cannot and chooses not and will not. He doesn't have to bear fruit. He's perfection. He's perfect in all these things. But he wants the branches who are the members, the Christian, to bear fruit. And by the two of them being in unity, that happens. So there is no spirituality without you or without the Lord. Some things the Lord's going to do in spite of man, but not with the church. With the church, people, the body has to submit to the head, which is Christ. And they have the will and a choice to do it or not do it. And if they choose not to do it, the Father will cut them off eventually. And if those repent and come back, he'll graft them back in. He has to damned them or said it's hopeless. Only hopeless is those who blaspheme the Spirit, and that's further along the line. The average backslider, most people nowadays that come to the Lord backslide. We live in dark ages, and some of them come back. And the Lord invited them to come back before it was too late. Uh So he still is exercising grace and mercy even to those he had to cut off from the body. See, Because he could not tolerate. He knows that Christ gives everything that's needed to produce fruit. And if they don't produce fruit, it's nobody's fault but their own. It means they don't want to be led by the Lord, they don't want to obey Him, and they want to live their own selfish lives, okay? And so this is what we see. So He is patient in His wrath. He has mercy over judgment. He prefers grace, goodness, and mercy when He deals with mankind. He remembers that man is dust. He understands the sinful callings, and of, but he doesn't excuse it, and he gives power over it. So if people don't use it, then they're in trouble, okay? He can reward and chooses to reward the Christian. He actually considers it unjust not to do it, which is astounding if you read the Scriptures well. Verse 36, for from him, And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. He's speaking of God and Christ. 
See, they're one. They're part of the Godhead. You'll find the same expression used here, similar in Hebrews. We'll go there. All things, 36, come from the Father of lights. All natural and spiritual laws, gifts, goodness, and everything originated with God. Now, man and devils could pervert that and misuse that as they do. Most of mankind perverts the gifts of God and makes sin and lawlessness out of God's gifts. And God's going to hold them accountable for it. They transgress. They go beyond the limit. God permits certain things under certain conditions. But in other conditions, they're considered sin. They cross the line. And he makes it plain to them. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Now remember at 36, it says, From him and through him and to him are all things. Okay? For God at various times and in different ways spoke in the times past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. That's the word, the incarnation, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He's one and the same. They were in conjunction with the world. Nothing was done by the Father that the Son wasn't involved in. Nothing in the universe has ever been done without the Holy Spirit involved. See, they're in a complete unity this way. Okay? Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, we'll read them. In the beginning was the Word. This is Christ. This is the who we know as became the Son of God. He wasn't the Son of God until he was born and took on human nature. He wasn't the Christ until he took on human nature and was resurrected. But he was always the Word of God, one with him. What it means is, and it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the thing there, when it says the Word was God, the literal translation is he was face to face with God. One and the same. The God. They're not several gods. They express themselves differently. And Jesus said, the Father's always loved me. He said, before the foundations of the world. The angels behold the face of God. The resurrected will see the face of God just like Jesus does. It says, we shall know as we've been known. There's some relationship with God that's going to be full and complete when we pass out of this world. Mortality cannot comprehend these things. Only the new person, the immortality. But it uses the same term. He says the angels always behold the face. It means the full glory. It doesn't mean they're standing in front of the phone, throne looking at his face. These are human concepts. They're not with God. That means they'll have full, whatever God made them for, that's what they'll have with God. They'll know him the way God meant for him to know them, as the angels are meant to know him, and as Christ is always. So he said through him, through the Son, he would give us all things. Jesus told the disciples, if you follow me and obey me, my Father will love you as he's loved me. Now, if you read that context, he said, as he loves me. Not like this. And it's different. It means whatever, when you're resurrected, and whatever your status 
Some will get others. Some people believe that it might be true, that some will have a greater insight. But the ones who don't won't know about it, won't care. They are loved. And they are fitted for their position. But all of them will be the sons of God, which includes the daughters. It's just used, and the masculine is used. He was in the beginning with God. God used a statement that man can't understand. One scripture in the old, he said, before me there is no God, and after me there's no God. He's expressing. Well, there is no before God, and he's using poetry and explaining to man. He's simply saying, whatever you are thinking, there was nothing before me, and there'll never be nothing after me. And yet he tells us he's eternal and everlasting, so there is nothing before him. People can figure that out if they have half brain, okay? And notice it says, all things were made through him. Who? The Son, the Word of God, Christ. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All the creation, spiritual, natural, the heavens, the earth, without the Son, the Word. We knew him then as the Word. Because he's one with God. He's part of the Godhead. They're not separated like that. Even the gifts and ministries attributed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Always. The Godhead is what he's talking about. Okay. Now Hebrews, we'll go back to Hebrews real quickly. Last lesson we hardly used any other scriptures. In this lesson, we're going to use a, quite a few of them. Hebrews 6.10 Okay, well, let's take a break now.